This is uh, a wonderful set of verses, and it's a set of verses that are uh, embedded in our church vision. It's where we've uh, taken this phrase from a church, or the idea from a church on the way. And um, you'll know, because we keep on uh, mentioning it, that that little phrase, a church on the way, is meant to highlight a couple of things. One, of course, is that we're on the Cotswold Way. I, I had the privilege, as I often do, living just opposite of bumping into a bunch of people that were, were doing the Cotswold Way walk. And uh, it was clear that they had done most of it and were just on the last little bit into Bath. But it was a hot day and they wanted to know where, we, where they could get a drink. So it was a real privilege to be able to direct them to the local pub. And uh, I hope that Kevin appreciated their business. We're on the Cotswold Way. It kind of puts us in space and time here. But it also is this picture that we've not arrived yet, that we are a work in progress. It puts the focus really firmly on following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. A, a, A journey of discipleship. And I hope that over this last year that, that you've, uh, that you've clocked that we are inviting you, uh, to grow in five habits, uh, reading and praying and those kind of things. Um, but most of all, it's being clear that we are following the way of Jesus. That is what we are about. It's not just a set of ideas for intellectual ascent. It's following him, keeping in step with him. And next term, as we begin next term, we're going to think a little bit more about what it means to be community together. Um, I, I don't know about you, about how you were introduced to the Christian faith. For me, I grew up in a lovely Christian family, and I'm incredibly grateful for that heritage But it did mean that in my teenage, latter teenage years, I really wanted to, to wrestle with and land one particular question, which was, this is the inheritance that I've received, but what about all the other ways? What about all the other things that, the ways that other people talk about God? And I, and I got hold of an encyclopedia of world religions. And I, I studied it. Frankly, as a 15-year-old, I look back at my studiousness as a 15-year-old and think, if only I could have applied that to my education, everything would have been different. Um, But I, I ruthlessly went through this encyclopedia, and what I was looking for was I was holding up the things that mum and dad had brought me up in. The, the, the cause of the Christian faith, and holding up against everything else that, that I bumped into and going, is there anything better? Because if there was anything better, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to know the truth. And the conclusion is that there is no better way. That Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. And more than that, more than just an intellectual idea, it works. He's here. He wants to walk each step with us in the best of times and the worst of times. 
I, I preach this passage uh, far too often because it's the one that is uh, often landed on as the reading for a funeral because it begins with, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled, so it's very comforting. Um, and it's always a, a great one to try and unpack a little bit at a funeral because what Jesus is talking about at the start is this wonderful picture of heaven. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says that my father's house has got many rooms. In the ancient world, if you were engaged, what you'd do is you would, uh, you'd go back to your father's house and you would literally build another room, an extension onto your father's house so that when you were married, you as the groom would be able to bring your bride back to the father's house and you'd have a place to live there together. It's a wonderful picture of heaven, of Jesus as the groom preparing a place for us, the bride. Men, you are the bride of Christ. Get over it. (laughs) Just as the women, you are sons of God. And I say sons because that means that you inherit all that Jesus has won for you. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, this wonderful picture of heaven. But of course, all these I am phrases are deeply rooted in Old Testament scripture. We have this, uh, we have this idea with Moses that he is uh, Mo- Moses has been out in the wilderness for, for decades and, and then he has this encounter in Exodus chapter 3. And he asks, who are you? And God says to Moses, Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, I am who I am. Nothing else defines me. I define myself. And that is one of the core tenets of the Christian faith. And we read about it in Exodus in that creation narrative. That the sun is not to be worshipped. The moon is not to be worshipped. Even though it is amazing that we've been there and we might go back. But the creator of those things is the one to be worshipped. I am who I am. I'm not defined by anything else. I am who I am. You see, what Jesus is claiming with each of these little I am phrases is he's claiming to be nothing less than God himself. Over this term, we've been um, trying uh, this slightly different way of of making the Alpha course available. Uh, So we've been doing this course called Access, which is essentially bite-size alpha, uh, but happening every other week so that whenever you kind of happen to ask that set of questions, you can come along and something will be happening. You can ask, you can wrestle with the questions about who's Jesus and what has Jesus done. And at the last one for this term, the next one, by the way, is the 17th of September. Um, the last one this term, we looked at this encounter at the end of John's Gospel with Jesus talking to Thomas. Thomas is is uh, potentially slightly annoyed because Jesus has shown up to all his friends and uh, at the end of John chapter 20 and uh, Thomas is like, well I'm not going to believe until I see him in person, until I get to touch him and put my hands in his side. Uh, 
And of course then Jesus shows up behind the locked doors and he says, peace be with you. Always a good phrase uh, to say to people if you've appeared in the middle of the room and you weren't expecting you to be there and all the doors were locked and you are God. Uh, I, I personally would be petrified, I'm sure. And Jesus invites him to touch, to look. And he invites him to stop doubting and believe. He's loving and gentle with his doubts. He acknowledges them. But he also invites him to step beyond them. And Thomas's response, my Lord and my God, my Lord, you are the ruler, you are the king. My God. You know, if, if Jesus was not God, this would be the moment. I'm sorry, lads, you've got it wrong. I, I, I'm really just a good teacher. I've just got some friendly things to say about how to be nice to each other. Don't get any funny ideas about me being God. I'm sorry if you got the wrong end of the stick. He doesn't say that in response to Thomas's affirmation, his declaration of belief, my Lord and my God, Jesus says this, because you have seen me, you have believed. He says, you've got it right. Well done. You've got it right. There is this purpose in John's Gospel. And the purpose we read in the next few verses is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We would believe that he is the Messiah. That we would believe that he's the Son of God. There is a, a little bit, there can be a little bit of confusion as we read this phrase of Thomas saying, my God, and then John saying, uh, the Son of God. Um, and that's because it kind of, we, we don't have a, we don't have a frame of reference for that sort of language in, in our, in our culture. It's what it, what it, the phrase Son of God, what it means in that context is it denotes membership of a class of things or person. So a son of Israel was an Israelite. A son of might was someone who was valorous. And the son of God means that this is God. That you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that you may have life in his name. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about how we walk. There is this rich connection between the Old Testament theology that we discover with these I am phrases and then the things that Jesus says where he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. This rich connection. But one of the questions that we often come against, and I'm sure you've heard this, is, well, Mark, you know, if Jesus is saying that he's the way, the truth and the life, Probably John was just over-egging it a bit. And, and really what we know, because we live in this, you know, modern world and we're all very, we, we, you know, we've just got everything sorted in this context, haven't we? Maybe we haven't if you look at plastic, but there you go. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another way. So I, I just thought maybe, maybe before we unpack what Jesus means by the way, the truth, let's just look at some of the other ways. Um, 
you see, one of the other ways is to say, look, there are some really big world religions, and and aren't 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 they all just paths to to the same God in the generic sense of God is just amazing and, and yes Christians get to him this way through Jesus but you know if if you believe this honestly it's all right isn't it every way he's going to get you there in the end cuz Jesus cuz God is so wonderful and all encompassing and he'll just let everybody in it's going to be fantastic that he does that isn't that great but you see the thing is this is that the Jewish faith declares that someone will come. He's called the Messiah. And the amazing thing is that he has come. And he's called Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Everything that was promised, he comes and fulfills. You can choose to live in an old sacrificial system. Or you can choose with a, to live in a once and for all system where Jesus has paid the price and dealt with our sin. You can take your chances or you can live in the fulfillment of what it's supposed to be. But you might say, well, Mark, well, you know, what, that's the Jewish faith versus the Christian faith. What, what, what about Islam? Because honestly, we've all got to be very nice to each other. Uh, I'm choosing my words well, by the way, just in case. Uh, we've all got to be really nice to each other. And doesn't everything point in the same direction? Here's the thing. If you look at the roots of the Islamic faith, what you discover is this, is that it was born out of a context where there was a misunderstanding about what the Christian faith was. It was so deep-rooted that you find the Trinity, as in the description of what Christians believe in the Quran, not as being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but the Trinity, according to the Quran, what Christians believe, is God the Father, God the Son, and Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but the other thing about the Islamic faith is that there's no guarantee that you're going to spend eternity with God. What you get is you die, and then your life gets weighed on a set of scales as to whether or not you've done good or bad. But the real problem with the system is this is there's no definition of what's on the scales in terms of good or bad. So you can get to the end of your life if that's what you choose to follow and you have no clue as to whether you're going to get in or not. It is flawed and it is not the way to the Father. What Jesus declares is that no one comes to the Father except through me. Or maybe... Uh, maybe actually what you want is, uh, is a liberal version of the Christian faith. What happened in the late 1700s was that there was questions that started to be asked about the trustworthiness of the Bible, about whether or not we really had the words of Jesus, whether they were true, about whether Jesus was God, 
about whether or not this person was ever raised from the dead or even if he died on a cross and, and what that death on the cross meant. The purpose of a liberal set of thinking in terms of an understanding of the Christian faith is to try and uh, reconcile intellectually the things that are difficult the things that we wrestle with in the Christian faith and reconcile them to the modern world. The problem is that what that set of thinking comes with is it removes all of the power and authority of God so that we can do what we want with whom we like because the cross doesn't matter and God is no longer king. Folks, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to follow Jesus, I want to do the real deal. Not follow something that's half-baked. Not something that's watered down and has had all its power and authority removed. And I'm not interested in following something that doesn't connect me to God the Father. You see, in the liberal expression of the Christian faith, Rather than saying that Jesus is the way, what it says is, oh, it's all right, there's many ways. Everything will be fine. Rather than saying that Jesus is the truth, it says that there are many truths and you can pick your own and it doesn't matter. Rather than saying that Jesus is the life, it says that actually human beings possess the power and the authority and the wisdom to answer life's biggest questions. Rather than it being the way to the Father, it says, don't worry, the Father loves everyone unconditionally. Funny. Um, just Google the word unconditional and see if you can find it in the Bible. You'll, I'll tell you what the answer is. It's not in there. The liberal way of thinking says that the Father loves everyone unconditionally and there's no way that he would exclude anyone and that there is no price to pay for sin and that you can access the divine now because she is all around us. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't say that. What he said was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, folks, this is such life-changing, radical news that the world needs to hear it. Since the 1950s, there has been this dream, this dream that we will design and make such wonderful gadgets and wizardry with amazing electronics, and I do love them, uh, that what we will do is we'll all be able to retire and just enjoy an amazing life of leisure as robots take care of all of the hard work and we can just delight ourselves in a wonderful recreational world of bliss and be on holiday forever.
There is this growing realization, though, that actually that doesn't make us happy. That that doesn't provide any fulfillment. And so what we do is we reshape our lives and we put a gloss on them and we post them on social media and say, look how wonderful my life is. But inside, we're more depressed, we're more anxious, we're more troubled than any generation has been before us. Actually, God seems to think that work is quite a good idea. God seems to think that doing things with our hands is quite a good idea. And so there is a resurgence of letting some of those things go and rediscovering what it means to be human. But if we really want to discover what it means to be human and the fullness of that, There is a way. His name is Jesus. He shows us the truth about who God is, about who we are. He shows us how to live and he brings us to the Father. One of my favorite stories from the Alpha Course is of this uh, soldier who's uh, got down on his luck and he has, uh, he's found himself after some war outside the White House, sitting on a bench, thinking about what on earth he's going to do because he's so troubled that life has gone wrong after fighting for his country. And this young lad comes and sits next to him and asks him what's wrong. And the soldier tells the young boy his story. And the boy simply says, you better come with me. And the soldier thinks, well, I haven't got anything better to do. So he follows the young boy and they get to the first gate outside the White House. And the soldiers step aside and to the soldier's amazement, the boy just walks in. So he follows. And they get to the outside of the White House. And again, as they approach, the soldiers step aside. And the boy walks straight through, followed by the soldier. And they go down the corridors of the White House and they get right up to the Oval Office and the final set of guards to the soldiers' absolute amazement step aside and even open the door for the young lad. And they walk straight into the Oval Office. And the young boy says to the President of the United States, Dad, here's one of your men. They're in trouble and they need your help. Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. It's the only way we get there. Folks, in this place, we want to invest in helping us to grow, but also the next generation to go to grow. That's why we're, we're so sparse on children this morning, because we've sent them into the woods. Not, not by themselves, don't worry. Uh, we've sent them into the woods to go and in that space to to discover who God is, to pray, to read this same set of scriptures, 
to encounter Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Why would we bother to do something that needs such a long risk assessment? (laughs) What an age. Because we care about them discovering who Jesus is. Not for when they're 20 or 30, but for now. But they can know Jesus Christ. Why would we invest your giving in children's and youth work in this place? Because we want the next generation to grow up knowing the King of Kings. A generation who can declare, my Lord and my God. Why would we invest in seniors' work in this place? Because we don't want anyone, anyone in this community to be alone in later life. We want them to know that God cares for them and wants to walk with them. We invest in pastoral care because people hit all sorts of bumps in life and we want to know that God, we want them to know that God loves them. We're investing with the Enrich Project to reach some of those folks who might find that life is a struggle for whatever reason. Because do you know what? We have not succeeded in this place, in this community, until this church community represents the whole of Bath. Single mums, unemployed, homeless addicts, those that have fallen by the wayside... And those have got so much wealth, we just need to help them give it away. All alongside one another, being family. It's why we're just about to re-advertise for the worship role in a slightly reshaped way because we want to build on what Pam has built in this place over 30 years. We want to grow as a worshipping community. We invest in prayer ministry, not just for our services, but to help each one of us to learn to pray where we are so that others can know him too. We're in schools, we're in care homes, we're in hospitals, we're in businesses out on the road when you go travelling. And you know what? We've probably got an outlet on the street that you live on. How do I know that? Because we've got at least 20 home groups with 211 adults in them across Bath. You know, God wants to reach others with this wonderful news that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's got a plan for doing so. And you're it. You're it. You and me. So as we close, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. I started with one question, and the one question was, what's your direction? You know, today, are you following Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Uh, But the problem is I, I, I got stuck with one question, so I've got one question plus five questions that make that one question make sense. So I hope that's okay. I don't, you know, I, I try and only give one challenge at the end, but here's a load. Uh, so, questions for you today, not to burden you, but to reorientate you. What's your direction? First question: Do you accept that Jesus is God? 
You know, it's perfectly possible to be in church, singing all the songs, doing all the stuff, without actually accepting that Jesus is God. If you haven't got that one landed, talk to the person next to you, talk to Robert, and he'll tell you the answer this morning, and he'll persuade you. Or anyone else. How are you following the way of Jesus? What does it actually look like in your day-to-day life? We've got squeaky wheels of a bike or small people somewhere. It's great. How are you following the way of Jesus in your everyday? What does that look like for you? Are you going to Jesus for truth? Or are you going somewhere else? What is it that you are choosing to fill your mind with? Are you going to Jesus who is the truth for truth? Are you accepting fullness of life on his terms? What I mean by that is, you know, so often we say, yeah, I, I, want, I want what you've got for me, but, but I've, I've, got, I've got a list of exclusions. <laughs> you can have everything except this bit. Are you allowing him to bring you to God the Father? Are you allowing him to bring you to follow to God the Father? In a world that's lost its way. In a world that's lost its way, what is needed is followers of the way of Jesus. We don't need to impose it on others. We simply need to live it and to share our story, to share his story with those around us. Shall we pray? Folks, I am um, as I as I pray. You can respond however is helpful, and remaining seated is absolutely fine because we're going to get you up to stand a song to sing a song in a moment. But if you'd like to take a particular step this morning, just of saying, "Yes, Lord, I want to reorientate myself to following you." If you'd just like to make that as a stand today, would you stand with me while I pray? Father God, whether we've remained seated or whether we're choosing to make a stand now, Father God, these are your dear friends. Come and fill them afresh. Come and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we would follow the way, the truth, and the life, that we would follow Jesus, that we'd allow him to take us to the Father, and that we would live each day for you, the great I am. In Jesus' name, amen.